So as I noted earlier in the service, there's kind of this theme that has emerged today of family. It, it began with the fact that it is Family Day weekend, which is uh, a holiday that really, I think, in many ways illustrates a little bit of the arbitrariness of our holidays, where you can tell somebody just picked a day that was good in the calendar year to have an extra holiday and did it. But something I've come to appreciate over the years, that we do have some time set aside in order to be able to reflect on the importance of family and to spend some time with friends and family friends and, and, and our family to be able to uh, enjoy the blessing of family, whether it's your own children or whether it's your siblings or parents or uh, just an opportunity to be able to celebrate the fact that we're all a product of family and we all contribute to uh, the broader family that we have as, as human beings. Um, and uh, for us, this is, this is an extra special family day because uh, for us it may be the, the last family day that we have before we add another member to our family as we as we look to adopt my cousin's granddaughter, right? And so this is something we've shared with the church before, and, and by the end of next month, we're hoping that that will have taken place. Uh, and so for me, I, family is a theme I've been reflecting a lot on as we approach this family day uh, and, and go through it. Uh, and alongside that, then there was this request to dedicate Vivian today that lined up with the family day weekend and uh, the chosen day for sharing the communion document. Uh, and so I felt pretty compelled as I was preparing the sermon, okay, well, I got to speak to this topic of family in some way, shape, or form. It just, it just fits naturally. And as I prayed about it, I realized that I was already in the process of preparing for such a message because with our, our care group, we've actually been studying a book that I think has a lot to do with family, and that is the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is one of the shorter books of the Bible. It's, it's tucked away in the Old Testament alongside a couple of bigger history books, uh, and it's one of my favorite books, and I think a, a favorite of many people, because of its ability to portray what the life of faith often looks like on the ground level. Uh, and that's because in the book, there's not any overt reference to God doing or saying anything, and yet through it all, we see just in the simple actions of human beings, there's this sense that it's God who is working and underpinning everything that they do with his divine providence. And conveniently enough, it is also the story of a family, <laughs> right? That, that, that it is really about one set of, of family members as they navigate the life of faith together and how God works in their family that we, we begin to understand God's greater love and grace. Uh, and so as we look over this book, we're actually going to look over the entire book in bits and pieces. Uh, what I want you to be able to understand this family day that I believe flows from this book of Ruth is that God wants you to be part of the story of his loving kindness within your family. That, I believe, is a good summary of the, the message of the book of Ruth, that God wants you to be part of the story of loving kindness, of his loving kindness, within your family. So let's look over the, the story that is given to us here uh, and then consider some of the ways that that can play out in our own lives as we experience the same kind of thing that Ruth and her family experienced. The book of Ruth begins with an older lady and her husband leaving the land of Israel in a time of famine. They end up going to a land called Moab, which is nearby, and become refugees there seeking food and provision. And this is the opposite of what the books in the Bible up to this point have led us to expect. 
that, that thus far the Bible's been very clear that God intends the nation of Israel to be a blessed place and actually to be the kind of place where refugees will come to seek refuge from the things that they face in other parts of the world. And what we see here is that Naomi and her husband move in the opposite direction of what the Bible has led us to expect to take place. And as they go into this foreign land and become refugees there, they suffer a great deal of tragedy. Naomi's husband dies, the patriarch of the family, and then her sons die as well after marrying foreign women. And so she is left in a position where she just has two daughters-in-law who are foreigners and both of them are without any heirs. And so she's stranded from her homeland, away from the place that is supposed to be the center of God's grace, uh, and she now has lost all hope of having any sort of good future because she's lost her social standing, and she has no way to recover it through her sons or her grandsons. And so she interprets this in the way that most Israelites would have at the time. Her interpretation is that God must be judging her for her and her husband's lack of faith. She thinks, I never should have left Israel, and God has disciplined me for having done so. And we see this come out in her dialogue with one of her daughters-in-law at the end of the chapter 1. First, we see that she is speaking to both daughters-in-law. And she says, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Now, this is a pretty short passage, but it's actually loaded because it both helps us to understand Naomi's mindset as well as understanding just a little snippet of what is important for us to understand God wanting to do in our lives. The, the key word here is the word kindly or kindness. The Hebrew word is actually the word chesed. We translate it as kindness, but I think kindness isn't really a sufficient word because kindness is something we think of as a fairly soft, a fairly mild feeling that we have towards other people with accompanying actions. You know, kindness is, you know, when you bend down and pet a puppy, that's kind of an act of kindness, right? Um, the better word to translate this is, is an older one that older translation will use, which is loving kindness, all one word which I think really captures the fact that the Hebrew word hesed actually refers to a deep underlying commitment to another person and then the actions that flow from that of treating them as somebody that you are committed to. And, and note Naomi's thought pattern as she employs that word. She says, perhaps there is some hope for her daughters-in-law if they leave her. They've demonstrated loving kindness towards her and her husband and sons. And so she thinks, if you leave me, then maybe God will demonstrate the same kind of loving kindness to you and restore your fortunes back in your homeland. That's her thought pattern here. God, God has no kindness left for me, but perhaps he has some loving kindness left for you if only you get away from me and the judgment that I am facing. And one daughter-in-law is perfectly okay with this thought pattern. And we're not given any sense that she's wrong for doing so. She, she gives her mother-in-law a great big hug and kiss. She weeps with her. But then she goes back to her native land where she can seek out some restoration of what she's lost with this family under judgment. 
But one other da- the other daughter-in-law, one of them, is not okay with this thought pattern. She has a different way of viewing this situation. And her name is Ruth. And Ruth says to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to return from home from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And we see that when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now, I think as we look at Ruth's assertion, it's one of those assertions that is more and more incredible as you unpack it. Here she actually employs covenant language for her relationship with Ruth. This whole, may God do to me and more so also if I depart from you. Right? That's actually covenant language that refers to the fact that in ancient times, people would say, God, God, destroy me if I break my promise to you. That's what she's saying, is God rend me from limb to limb the same way that he might rend a sacrificial animal if I dare to depart from you. That's a strong promise. And it's really quite incredible that she's making that promise given the circumstances that Naomi is in. This is a woman who has lost everything, who has nothing to offer her, who who for all appearances is under God's judgment. And she's saying, I'm going to remain committed to you to the point that I will call down curses on myself if I break that commitment. That's pretty incredible. I think it begs the question, well, what is it that causes her to have that strong of a commitment to this woman? And the answer seems to be that she is holding on to things that she has learned about Yahweh's character from prior to this point in time. Maybe it's things that she had heard by reputation through the nations, that there's this slave nation that had come into the land and was being protected by this powerful God who loved those who were weak in the eyes of the world. Maybe it's, it's what Naomi and her husband and her sons actually were speaking when they came into the land, that they were speaking well of Yahweh and saying, he is a God of justice, he is a God of protection, he's one who loves to protect those who are weak. Whatever it is, she has in mind that Yahweh's character is good, that he is a God worth following. It is worth being part of his people to the degree that she's willing to commit herself to the life of a woman who seems to have lost everything and to have nothing to offer her, right? There's a real radical stance of faith in here that Ruth is taking that goes totally against the mindsets of the day, which said, get away from the person who's under judgment, right? And and, and it's interesting because we also get a little tiny glimpse of Naomi's mindset again just in this passage. She doesn't respond with gratitude. She doesn't respond by saying, oh, great, God has provided somebody who's exceptionally faithful in my life. Instead, we see the best she can muster up is she kind of silently acquiesces. Okay, if that's how come into your eye, I guess I can't respond much to that. And, And so they return to Israel And we see, yet again, Naomi making a comment that shows just how little she believes in God's grace for herself in this time. She's coming and everybody's saying, isn't this Naomi? Isn't this the woman who who, who left our land with her husband and her sons? And her name, Naomi, actually means pleasantness. And so she responds by saying, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasantness. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity 
upon me. So here we see a reinforcement of the fact that Naomi believes she's under God's judgment, that loving kindness is the furthest thing from what he has to offer her, that there might be loving kindness for her daughters-in-law, but definitely not for Mara, the bitter one. And I think in here we need to note that already she's demonstrating an incredible blindness, right? Because what does she have with her? Well, she has a daughter-in-law who has already proven exceptionally faithful both to Yahweh and to her, and yet she can't see it. Now, as I read this, I, I wonder how that made Ruth feel. We don't, we don't get told by the author what type of impact that had on Ruth's life, but you can imagine that must have been deeply hurtful when she heard her saying this to the other women. I've come back empty. I have nothing left. And you can think Ruth must be thinking, what about me? I'm here with you in this. And, and yet, yet again, a testament to her character. If this did hurt, which I can only imagine it did, having seen how comments like this can hurt people, she remains faithful to her promise. She loves this bitter old woman, even though she can't see the bits of grace that are there in her life already. And the author really wants to drive home this point that there is grace yet for this woman. And he does so with a a simple narrative device. We're told as they come into the land, and even as Naomi is saying, I am back empty, I have nothing left, it is the time of harvest. That she left in the midst of a famine, she, she got emptied of what little she had as she left, and now she comes back into the land and and there's something brewing. Plenty is just around the corner. The author wants us to know that God is already preparing her to be filled, despite the fact that she is totally blind to it. So then we move into the next chapter, and the story progresses. Ruth knows about the laws of the nation, and that Yahweh has told his people that you must let those who are poor and suffering, you must let widows and aliens do this thing called gleaning. That, that when farmers are going out and they're, they're, they're gathering in their crops, they have to leave the bits and pieces that fall so that those who are impoverished can come to the land and actually pick up those bits and pieces and bring them back home and, and, and actually live off of those scraps that are left over after farming takes place. And, and so we see that Ruth, being mindful of this, says to her mother-in-law, I want to go out and I want to start gleaning. I want to work to provide for you. And, and Naomi says, okay, well, if that's what you want. And the author goes to, to painstaking detail to kind of give us a little dramatic irony where he says what, what she and Naomi didn't know was that there was a family member who lived nearby who could redeem them. And so, and so she goes out into the fields and she somehow or other manages to make her way into the field of this family member who has the opportunity to save them from what they are facing. And here we begin to see how God intends to use Ruth to restore Naomi. This man named Boaz shows up on the scene. And, and he, he talks to his workers and reveals that he's already heard of Ruth's amazing character. And so he, he comes over to her and he begins talking to her and he shows an unusual kindness to her. He allows her to eat and to drink with him and with his workers. He instructs them to protect her and to even drop extra grain for her and not to discipline her when she takes those extra pieces of grain. And so there's some conversation that takes place between them as he's showing this kindness that reveals both his motives as well as how God is using this situation 
to change Naomi. We see Boaz speaking to Ruth. And he says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here we see that Boaz recognizes the faith that we were noticing in the first chapter. That it's an unusual kind of faith. That she's come here to a land she doesn't know, to a God and a people that she's really foreign to, and she has sought out that God and that people's protection. And he uses this beautiful illustration to say, here's what I hope God will do for you. He uses the illustration of a mother bird tucking her chicks under her wings to protect and to provide for her. And says, that's what God's love is like. May he show it to you. And, 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 and Ruth recognizes the unusual character of this man. She hears his blessing. She sees the way that he's acting towards her with loving kindness. And she goes back and she tells Naomi about this amazing thing. Hey, God has brought me to this amazing person who's looking after us. And we begin to see Naomi having a light bulb moment. Oh, oh maybe there is something good going on here. Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And she also said, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, note the return of the word chesed, loving kindness. Some translations, I think, over-clarify this. They over-interpret this whatever Bible you have in front of you might actually say something to the effect of God's kindness hasn't departed from the living or the dead. But actually, the Hebrew is more ambiguous. And I think it's phrased well here, where you see it says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Who's the whose? Well, maybe it's the one who has been kind to them, that being Boaz. Or maybe it's the Lord who put this man in their life. It's a little ambiguous in this version of the English translation. And, and, and in the Hebrew, that's how it is. I think what we're meant to take away from this is that Naomi is recognizing both of these things simultaneously. That, that, that kindness, loving kindness has been shown to her and that God's loving kindness is being reflected in that. Right? That this man should be blessed for his loving kindness and God should be blessed for sending this loving kindness their way. In other words, this is the first time we begin to see her starting to claim, wait a minute, maybe I'm not totally empty. Maybe God has something for me yet. Maybe there is loving kindness left, and it's coming through my family members. We see the story continues. Naomi, having recognized that this man is somebody who can redeem their land, who can give them an inheritance again, she encourages Ruth, to go and propose to him. And in this kind of funny backwards scene where, where, where instead of the man pursuing and, and, and proposing and saying, I want to marry you, we actually see the opposite taking place where Ruth goes out in the middle of the night, finds where he's sleeping out in his fields with his workers, and she uncovers him and says, marry me. <laughs> marry me. Now, the interaction between them, again, draws out some of the themes that we've been dealing with thus far. We see that Boaz's immediate response is to say, who are you? He doesn't recognize in the middle of the night. 
okay, which adds to the humor, I think, of the situation, okay? Here is being woken up by this strange woman. Oh, she's saying, marry me. Who are you, <laughs> right? And, and, and then she answers, I am Ruth. I am your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, now, I think here, you can see already, just based on how I've ordered things, she's paralleling the very blessing that he gave to her, saying, may the Lord spread his wings over you. And now she's saying the same thing to him. Would you spread your wings over me? In other words, she's calling on Boaz to be the one who lives out God's loving kindness by invoking that very image that he gave to her. Now, this is a very intimate request, right? A lot of people highlight in commentaries the fact that it's pretty physically intimate, this idea of spread out your arms, your body over top of me, right? But I think you can focus too much on the physical intimacy and miss the deeper spiritual intimacy that's going on here. Basically, what she says is, would you be God to me? Right? That's an incredibly vulnerable request. I am completely at your mercy. My fate rests in your hands. Would you provide loving kindness for me the way Yahweh does? Wow. That's a vulnerable position to be in with this man. And fortunately, he is a man of character who recognizes yet again how, how different she is in making this request. And so we see that Boaz responds by saying, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. For you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, but rather, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. You see, what Boaz is stating here is that he recognizes that Ruth could easily have found another husband for herself. That she could have gone out, pursued a younger man, had a, had a young family with another man, who, whether he was rich or poor, and she could have carved out a really good future for herself. But she didn't do that. Why? Because that wouldn't have benefited Naomi whatsoever. The only way that a marriage is going to benefit Naomi is if it's with a kinsman redeemer, somebody who can actually give them back their land. Right? And, 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 so, and so he recognizes that she has foregone what might have been a better marriage for her in order to have a redeeming opportunity for Naomi. And he celebrates that, and because of that character, he, this wealthy man who, who, who has all of this power and authority over her, says, yes, I will honor it. I will actually marry you and treat you well as your husband. There is one twist left, though. He, he makes this promise, but towards the end of the chapter, what he says is, but there's actually somebody who's closer in the family to you who has a claim to that land and that inheritance first. So we actually need to call this forward and see whether he wants to be the one to marry you instead. And so the last chapter of the story revolves around this weird little social ritual that honestly, we still only kind of half understand, even given all of our understanding of the social context and stuff that's developed over the past while. Um, but the long and the short of it is that this other man is brought in because he's closer kin to Naomi, and he has the right to become their redeemer first. And, and so at first, he's kind of like, okay, sure, I'll take their land. I'll redeem the land, right? Uh, and, and, then, and then it's mentioned, but wait a minute. You're not just going to get to take the land and keep it within your family. You're actually going to have to marry Ruth and produce an heir. And then you're going to have to give the land that's allotted and involve their family in your inheritance. And he realizes this might actually compromise some of the inheritance he has for his own children, the ones that he's already fathered, right? And so he says, mm, I'm not willing to do that. 
I'm not willing to compromise my own children's well-being by splitting it with this new child and passing it on to this other part of the family, right? And so, and so then he gives up that right to Boaz. And there's this funny little ritual where they exchange a sandal as kind of a symbol of the fact that that right is being passed on to Boaz. And, and so we have all of these things that to us seem a little bit odd, but the original audience would have been celebrating. Yay, okay, this man of character who's been walking alongside her gets to marry her after all. She gets to go be part of his family. And the, the, there's kind of this rejoicing that should be taking place. And, and the book draws to a close by highlighting some of our themes again and then adding in one last twist. We see that in Ruth 4, the women say to Naomi, after Ruth has produced an heir with Boaz, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. Note again the ambiguity of the phrasing. May whose name be renowned? Will who be a restorer of life and a nourisher of her old age? It's actually a little ambiguous. Maybe it's talking about the Lord, or maybe it's talking about this child that has been born as a redeemer of her family, the one who can inherit and bring her family back into a position of social standing. And again, I think the answer should be both, right? It, 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 they're saying, blessed be this redeemer May he nurture you in your old age. May he be a source of hope for you and your family, this son that has been born to you. And alongside that, blessed be the Lord who provided for you in that way. He's the one who has brought you full circle from a place of loss and emptiness into a place of grace and abundance yet again. Blessed be the Lord for this. And, and so we get this, this illustrated loving kindness of God being played out through Ruth and Boaz that literally the loving kindness of God has been the fruit of Naomi's loving kindness from God, right? And, and, and then we get a surprise ending. Often in the Old Testament, we come to these lists of names, and, and for us, they don't mean a whole lot, but, but actually they have a great deal of importance in them. And the book closes after this beautiful narrative where we see Naomi restored to a position of social standings. Then it decides to close off with this little blurb. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Now, this is the first name we even recognize in this list, <laughs> right? Here's Boaz. Okay, finally, Boaz, somebody I recognize. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Oh, well, David. David, that name rings a bell. David, the the great king of Israel, the, the one who actually delivered them from their enemies and expanded their land and is recognized as, as one of the greatest figures in the Old Testament. Wait a minute. Ruth's son is the great-grandfather to the King David. The, the great king of Israel is the product of God's loving kindness towards a woman who deserved nothing but judgment according to all of the understandings of the time. Wow, the great king of Israel is the product of God's gracious, loving kindness. And, and, and we should note as Christians that there's, there's a Christian element in this as well. You know, Jesus is descended from David, which means that he too is a product of this story. The one who came to redeem us, 
to give us an inheritance as God's children that we had lost was himself the product of a redeemed family. Long before Jesus came to save us, God wanted us to know that being part of his family is a gift of grace. That's why they close on this note. Now, alongside this bigger application of recognizing God's grace, his loving kindness towards those who are his family, I think we can get a little more specific. As I said at the beginning, I think, I think the practical takeaway from this is that God wants you to be part of his story of loving kindness within your family. And, and, and to me, what it did was beg the question of who are you in this story? Are you a Naomi? Blinded to God's loving kindness by your immediate circumstances? Is, is your suffering so weighty that it feels like God must have nothing left for me? If so, I encourage you, keep looking so that you might see his loving kindness in your life. I believe God is faithful. I believe God does not abandon his children. That his loving kindness is there for you yet. Or maybe you're a Ruth, somebody who's fairly limited in means, limited in power, that you you don't necessarily have the, the ability to fix the suffering of the people around you. But what you can do is journey alongside the suffering family member to say, I love you and I will be with you in whatever you're going through. And so my encouragement will be, then do that. Be God's loving kindness to the people who are suffering in your midst. That just saying, I am committed to you and will journey with you in this can be the starting point of God changing their story. Or maybe you're a Boaz. Maybe you're somebody who actually does have more means that you have the ability to alleviate the suffering of your family members. And again, I would say, then do it. Be God's loving kindness to the people around you. Take the means that you have. Look for opportunities to use them to redeem. Be willing to forego what might be better arrangements for you so that you can go ahead and bless those who are under suffering. Or maybe you're David. Maybe you're actually the product of God's loving kindness within your family. Maybe you look back over the past couple generations and realize God has taken my family out of a place of darkness and he's brought it back into a place of light. If so, pass that legacy on to future generations by being God's loving kindness to them. And, And note, this is actually a form of loving kindness to the people who came before you as well. Because the people who came before you want nothing more than to know that their family is doing better generation by generation. And and, and again, I would say, whether or not you are somebody who has your own children, whether or not you are somebody who has immediate family right there with you, this is stuff that you you can experience in your life. We're all a product of a family. We can all participate in God's loving kindness towards that family. And we're certainly all part of a bigger family here as a church, and can bless those in our midst who are struggling right now. Personally, I relate the most to Boaz, precisely because of what I shared at the beginning about this adoption that we're going through. I feel like we actually have the opportunity to be part of the redeeming of our family a little bit. She's the product of a pretty messy family situation, and we actually have the means to bring her in and offer her something different. But I suspect that each of us would say, I relate to each of these a little differently. 
And I just encourage you to go home convicted, to act on it, whatever way that is. And whichever person you are, I am convinced of this. God wants you to be part of his story of loving kindness towards your family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithful love and kindness towards us. I pray that each of us might be able to see how you are doing that for us and how we can be that to others within our family. That as we go from here, we will be richly blessed and pass that blessing on to others. In Jesus' name, amen.